Welcome to episode 191 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat, for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine. Way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say. Because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry. And their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. And ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 191 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm cold. Yes. <laughs> And how does that feel? It feels cold. Yeah. Got my mug of warm water, holding it in my hands. Yeah. I get so happy every time I walk outside. I know. I was standing in the sun trying to find some warmth. I got sort of schooled by the maintenance man yesterday because my air conditioner was out of Freon. So it was freezing over every night, despite it being cold. And he was lecturing me. He was saying that like air conditioners are built to maintain 
normal air conditioning temperatures. Do you have your set to be too cold? Apparently. I set it at 60 at night. That's pretty cold. But I was confused. I was like, if it's cold outside, shouldn't it be easier for the air conditioner? And he was like, it doesn't matter. And he was like, I'll fix the Freon. He was like, but you can't be doing this. Now, see, I did hear when we had in our other house, like we got a a big lecture on the air conditioner can only cool your house a certain number of degrees below what it is outside. And like, I don't think that's true because I go places and it's really cold there. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it would be during the winter, it would be colder outside than 60. Exactly. You should be able to be 60 in the cold temperatures. But it was a distressing conversation because I'm a very like rules oriented, like society person. So like when I'm being told I'm doing something wrong, I get really upset. Not really upset, but I want to do what's right, but I want it to be cold. So I don't know what to do about this situation. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Based on the conversation I had where I was told it was impossible to get at that temperature and, and, you know, I don't argue with people to their face, but I remember thinking, then how come when I go to stores and they have, it's so freezing cold, it's way colder than, so, I mean, that's not even true. That just sounds like an excuse. That is not correct. (laughs) That is not true. Anyway, I just had a really interesting conversation this week with the people from the PREDICT study. Oh, do tell. It was so fantastic. It was just me talking to them on on a call. You know that I did the Predict 3 with the, the Zoe app where I wore the continuous blood glucose monitor and then I got my results back. And oh, here's a little funny part of that. They sent me an email. I mean, I just did the did the study as a person. I signed up using my regular email. You know, I used my name. I didn't, you know, hide who I was, but I didn't say, hi, I'm Jen Stevens. I've written a book. I mean, I didn't say, you know, I didn't contact them. I'm guessing they figured this out. They did. They did. They sent me an email. They're like, your results are ready. And we would also like to have a conversation with you and go over your results with our, you know, head nutritionist and our, you know, head researcher. I'm like, that's pretty good customer service. (laughs) So we're on the call. And I, I asked the people that did it at the same time I did, a couple of the moderators. I was like, did they offer to sit down with you? They're like, no. I'm like, well, that's interesting. So when we got on the call, I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask you, do y'all do this with everybody? They're like, no, <laughs> we we know who you are. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that is so funny. It was amazing, though, talking to them. You know, they work with Tim Spector, who's a gut expert. He's also the guy, Melanie, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, you may be, the COVID app that's in the UK, the COVID symptoms app that's gotten a lot of press, that's his app. What does it do? I don't know. It's a COVID symptoms indicator app where you you put, he's collecting data. It's a research, COVID research, but that's him. They were talking about that as well, but that's, you know, what he's known for right this minute. But he's the, you know, the British Gut Project. He's studied twins. He's really interested in the interplay of, you know, how important is our genetic profile to, you know, our, our factors of life. And, You know, now he's also exploring the interplay with gut microbiome through these PREDICT studies. But it was fascinating to talk to them. And so I, drumroll please, I am going to follow the recommendations they're giving me based on my CGM data and my gut analysis. Oh, wow. I'm going to do it for one month. They want you to do it for four weeks. And I was like, you know how I am. I don't like to be told what to eat. I just want to eat the foods that I want to eat, the foods that are delicious. 
But apparently, you know how I said my blood glucose was fabulous? Because it didn't go up and down like crazy, crazy. Yeah. Apparently, my blood glucose control is not great. And neither is my fat blood fat clearance. Well, I'm not surprised about the blood fat clearance at all. They're basing it on two different tests with the muffins. Like the first muffin, I think, was a really high sugar muffin. And then I had to wait a few hours, then eat the second set of muffins. They were a really high fat muffin. And then I had to do blood samples a certain amount of time after each muffin. So they wanted to see how quickly my blood cleared the fat, whatever. Apparently, I did not clear fat quickly. I have a question. Yes. Blood samples. So when you did the test, did you do a a finger prick to yourself? Yes, it was a finger prick. And you have to like squeeze out so much blood. It it was a lot harder. I could not have done that, Jen. (laughs) It was harder than I thought it would be. Like you had to squeeze out onto a piece of paper or into like a... Onto this little collection strip thing that you have to like make it go. I'd be like fainting in my apartment. You know how on like a pregnancy test, it goes up. Well, you've probably never done a pregnancy test, but when you do a pregnancy test, it goes up the little wick and then you see it go to the window and it goes along the... The strip, well, this was a blood test where you had to keep dripping the blood until it went a certain amount up the strip. Okay, like a blood glucose monitor. Well, I mean, this was a lot. It was not just like doing, no, it was not like that. I mean, that concept, but a lot of blood. That concept, but so much blood. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) It took a lot of blood. But anyway, my blood did not clear the fat well. And also, apparently, my the blood glucose. But I also never eat really sweet, sugary things in isolation. So, so okay. Oh my goodness! I've can we talk about this a little bit? I have thoughts. Yeah. So I have so many thoughts I want to talk about. The first thing is you were saying that just now <laughs> you don't normally eat sugar in isolation, but you're eating. I'm just wondering if this is what they're thinking because, like, a lot of people who follow low carb diets and aren't eating carbs at all, that's when they have issues with clearing glucose. But if you eat carbs as a part of your normal diet, then I don't know how much, you know, like how much that applies to that. I don't know if you were saying that. I know that the results of them looking at my CGM, they said I did not. Anyway, what I, I'm trying to think of the wording that it says my clearing of the sugar was not what they expected. It, it was low, poor blood sugar control after the the challenge. So did it stay high for too long or I don't know. I don't know what their what their parameters were. I interviewed NutriSense this week, CGM. And so now listeners, I know we've been talking about CGMs a lot, but they're just so amazing. That said, now I have on my third CGM. And yours was Freestyle Libre as well, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. So I have on my third CGM right now. So I've done three rounds, two weeks each time. This is something I'm wondering, did they, for the study, have you test and make sure the CGM was accurate? Like by doing what? With a blood glucometer. Oh, no. Mm -mm. See, this is what I'm really, really wondering about. And I'm wondering if they take this into consideration. Did they talk at all about, you know, checking for accuracy of CGMs? They did not talk about that, no. Because what I've realized with this experimentation is, so I, the first CGM that I, and these are all freestyle Libres, but using different apps. So levels versus NutriSense, but levels versus NutriSense doesn't affect the accuracy of the freestyle Libre. So the first one I wore, it was off 
consistently, and this is what I learned when I interviewed the NutriSense founder. She said they can be off, but the precision is almost 100%. And what that means is that if it's off by 10 or 15 points, it doesn't change the accuracy of the patterns and how it's changing. So that will be 100% accurate. But if the baseline is off, it might mean that every time you test, it's off by a certain amount. Yeah, I don't feel like that was the problem because it was it was in a very expected range. All of my numbers were in a very expected range that were not surprising. And I didn't get highs like you would expect someone, you know, who's type 2 diabetic to get. I didn't get the giant highs. But after I had their challenge muffin, whatever my blood glucose did after that wasn't like fabulous. That's what they're basing that on plus all the the data over the time. But I I feel really good about the range being from where it went up to and where it went down to. It didn't have unexpected lows or unexpected highs. So it feels like a good solid range. Yeah, just what I'm wondering is, do you know how many participants they have in the study? Lots and lots. And they've been doing different rounds of it. Predict one, predict two, predict three. I mean, they this is... This is really cutting edge. What they're doing is, I would really say, is the gold standard in nutrition research. It's the cutting edge of that. I wonder, I would die to talk to them. I wonder if they are more looking at the the precision and the changes and taking into account the potential for the inaccuracies and the calibration that would be needed. Because what I've experienced is the first CGM I wore, it was off by 10 to 15 points, which is okay. I think that's actually within the expected, what they say it can be off by. Second one was spot on, like spot on. It matched my meter exactly. The one I'm wearing right now is off by 20 to 30 consistently, like every time. So when I look at the number and I, like I said, I'm using both levels and NutriSense, this one right now is levels and levels doesn't let you calibrate it. So with NutriSense, you can go in and say, Hey, it's actually off by 20 and it'll affect it. It'll um, change what you see. Levels doesn't do that. So right now, every time I see the number, I'm like, okay, well, I know it's 20 lower than that. I'm So I wonder, I'm really curious. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I want, I really want listeners to get CGMs because you can learn so much about yourself, but I really, really encourage you if you do get one and you suspect that it might be off to test it. And, but then once, even if it is off, like I said, by, by a certain amount, it, it won't change the accuracy of the changes. It's just kind of like the baseline is wrong. Yeah. I don't think mine was off. It never went up crazy high number-wise or down crazy low. It was within a range that seemed logical to me. Also, it was fascinating talking to them about the gut analysis because, you know, I had my gut analyzed in 2017. And so she talked about the differences, you know, and, and how far they've come since 2017 in their sequencing of the gut microbiome. So they know way more now than they knew in 2017, like exponentially more. So I have a list of foods, you know, they have an app and I'm supposed to put things in and try to get, you know, a certain number. And it's based on all the factors that they collected about me, all the data, the way that I mix foods together. You know, they don't want me to have too much fat, which so doesn't surprise me. That does not, does not surprise me one bit. But it was also fascinating talking to their lead researcher about just, we talked about intermittent fasting and the latest studies that are out. And she was great. We talked about, you know, the early time-restricted feeding and, you know, some studies we'd like to see. 
So I would love to work with them in the future. And, and that, you know, they seemed interested in collaborating with the, the intermittent fasting community because they're very interested in time-restricted eating and how that affects people. It's really exciting. It was really exciting. So it was it was like such a such a great call to have and to talk to someone of that caliber. I know you talk to people who do research all the time cause with your biohacking podcast, but it was great to talk to a patient because she, you know they're pure scientific researchers. That's what they do. They're in the academic community and you know being able to have a conversation about research methodologies. It was fascinating. Yeah, I love it. It's so fun. It's so yep. And I did not sound like a moron having that conversation. <laughs> I was able to have it. You know, that's what felt great. Yeah, it's nice when you're engaging in the dialogue and you understand everything they're saying. You can understand what they're saying. Right. And that, you know, they're listening respectfully to your ideas as well. That was really nice. Awesome. Well, you have to keep us updated on the... Well, I'm going to. And I mean, I have to do it. So you can probably hear in my voice, yeah, I like to eat what I like to eat. So to hear that... Gosh, you know, maybe that isn't working as well for me as I thought. So I just want to see what happens. I don't need to lose weight. So I'm, you know, not doing it to try to lose weight. I just want to see, am I going to notice a difference in how I feel? Awesome. And then a resource for listeners. I'll put a link in the show notes to, I I, I doubt either of those interviews will have aired about the, the CGMs, but you can get a NutriSense CGM at, I have a discount now, at Melanie Avalon dot com slash nutrisense cgm and the code is melanie avalon for 15 percent off so is that the one you like the best yes <laughs> i was trying to say i was going to say that well levels is on a wait list anyway so when i have a code for them it will get you to the front of the wait list but nutrisense is available now and they're both using freestyle libre so there's no difference there and i really think that calibration feature is really really important I like both of them, but yeah, I do like NutriSense a lot. So that sounds great. I'm really interested as well. I would like to see if, you know, eating the foods that they recommend, if that makes a difference now that I have this, you know. You're going to have to put another CGM on so you can watch as you. I know. I know. But it's it's all in the, the name of science. Yes. Yes, yes. But oh, guess what is a food that's great for me? Oh, wait, let me get Beans. Oh, I said it already. <laughs> Beans. Beans are great for me. Well, I would have been so upset if they weren't. They said potatoes are not great for me, so I'm still a little salty about that. So do they want you on a higher carb, lower fat diet? Well, it's not really either. It's certain carbs and certain fats and less fat, but not low fat. But not too much fat. I mean, it's not it's not technically low fat or low carb, but it's like like quinoa is a yes for me, but potatoes are a no. Very interesting. So it's also like the gut microbiome and everything. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think it's because of like the resistant starch in potatoes? Well, that would not make it a no. That would make it more of a yes. Not necessarily because if it's a oh, you're talking about what's in my gut. Yes. Not liking the resistance. I don't know. I don't know what it's all based on. This is the third round of their of the predict study, and they they keep refining it as they find new things. And they they they're not afraid to completely change the recommendations. They're like, all right, based on our new data, because they did that during the predict two. I knew a bunch of people that were going through it, and they changed. They're like, all right, we got new data, so here's the new list. 
And everybody's like, what? It's the opposite of what I what it used to say. But it was based on the new analysis. So as they learn more, they they change the recommendations to reflect what they're learning. As it should be. Absolutely. And that actually makes me have more confidence in them. Well, you'll have to keep us updated. Well, we'll see. I'm starting it like right after Thanksgiving, which is like probably the craziest time in the world to be changing what you're eating. But I'm like, well, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. Do it. I'm going to do it. Can I do one more plug before we get to our questions? Please do. The episode that airs today, which when this comes out, it'll be a while ago. I'm airing the, the Q&A with Gun Livingston, the Never Binge Again. Right. Friends, it's so... It's such a helpful episode because we did it all about like overeating triggers, emotional eating, like eating socially, the holidays. It's just, it's so helpful. He's so wonderful. He just, it's a really powerful episode. Well, I, I know that's something that, that listeners will really connect to because a lot of people struggle with that and then they beat themselves up and then they really shouldn't. Yeah. And his mindset and his theory and everything is just very freeing in my, in my opinion. And I've said before, I think it, I think it aligns really well with intermittent fasting because it's kind of like with fasting, you're fasting or you're eating. There's not like all this debate and dialogue in your head about it. It's sort of like that with, with food. Well, please share that in the advanced group. And just in case I'm not the person who approves the post, say, Jen asked me to share this. <laughs> Cause you know, the moderators might be like, no, <laughs> bad, Melanie, bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, the moderators are amazing and they're just looking out for, you know, we don't allow people to share random things, but you're not a random person and this is not a random thing. So please share it in the groups because I think it could be helpful, especially this time of year when people have so much emotion around what they're eating and when they're eating it. And, you know, we're going to overeat. It's the holidays. Yes. And there are so many valuable things that he says about all of that with the emotions. So. And really quickly, I think we were going to start asking now, because this is episode 191, listeners, for episode 200, Jen and I are going to do another Ask Me Anything episode. So feel free to start submitting questions for that. You can ask us anything. So to clarify, I mean, you can make it about intermittent fasting, but that's not the point. The point is like, it can be anything. 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 Not not guaranteeing that we'll... (laughs) Answer it. or <laughs> But you can ask. And we might. Yes. Because we did that on episode 100 for anybody who's like, you know, if you have been listening since then, you heard it. Episode 100, Ask Us Anything. So ask us anything again. Episode 200. Crazy. <laughs> I feel like people might know everything about me. Oh, oh, did you know my bathroom is finished? I do now. Yeah. Now everybody knows the bathroom is done. Everybody knows everything about you and your houses. Well, yeah. You don't know that we're buying a house for Will to live in. We're buying this house. Now we do. Now we do. We went and looked at it on Wednesday. And the guy who lives there is a hoarder. Oh. He's been living there for a long time. He's a renter. What does he hoard? From what I could tell, maybe garbage. But I'm not making light of that because it made me really sad. I wanted to clean it up and help him, you know? So hopefully he's going to have to move because Will's going to move in. But hopefully having to move will help him. I don't know. It's really, really sad to me. 
But there's more. So we're going to be having to redo that. It's a little tiny cottage. You know how they say by the worst house on the best street? That's what we're doing. We've been looking for months and haven't been able to find a thing. And so it's a tiny little one-bedroom, one-bath cottage that was built in the 60s, and it has not been updated. And it needs everything. So we're going to rent it to our son as long as he, he wants to rent it from us. Then we're going to rent it to other people. But we have a lot of work ahead of us. It's a big project. We don't even know what it looks like. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you couldn't see it. Because of the hoarding? Yeah. You really couldn't see it. Chad's like, what's the floor? I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're just going to buy it. We're going to. So you did go in, though. We did go in. But it, it makes me really sad for anyone who's suffering with, you know, whatever leads to hoarding. Yeah. I know it's not an easy fix. You have really. Yeah. I, my grandmother, my, my grandmother on my dad's side. You know, that side of the family tends to have lots of piles of things. And, of course, we didn't even know we would go over there for holidays and run around the piles of things. I mean, we still had room to gather, but and it wasn't like this house. But Well, we'll have to keep us updated on that, too. Hopefully, the move will be a positive for him, and he'll you know clear some things out of his life. So, anyway, yep, so we'll have, I'll have some more to share on that. But that should be a fun project for 2021. So many things. Oh, yeah. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. We have a question from Sarah. It's actually Sarah update from the girl who lost weight during quarantine. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I wrote to you a few months ago that after two years of a plateau at around 150 pounds, I finally got down to my lowest weight of 142 pounds during quarantine. I wanted to give you an update and ask a question. The good news is I went on to lose a few more pounds and get to 139 for a total of 10 pounds lost during the first few months of quarantine and the lowest weight I'd seen since high school. The bad news is that now all my clothes are too small and I weighed in this morning at, drum roll please, 159. I haven't weighed 159 since September of 2017, a couple months after I started fasting, and haven't even weighed above 155 since October of that same year. I am baffled. During my two-year plateau, I often hovered around 145 and never got above 152, even after going on cruises, having weeks of poor eating, etc. What happened? Here are the things I'm considering. And I'm just going to jump in. This is me saying this, Melanie, but I have something in Fast Feast Repeat for anyone who finds they're at a plateau or having trouble with regain. Ask yourself honestly, what do you think it is that's going on? And you can probably tell. And I am going to tell you Sarah has done that because she's got a list of things. And I think Sarah knows, but I'm going to read Sarah's list of things. I, I really think people know, don't you? Quite often. Yeah. If you really are honest with yourself, write down what you think it is. You're probably right. So here's what Sarah wrote down or sent to us. Number one, once restaurants started opening again, I started ordering takeout and eating out more outside only when during those first few months of quarantine, I had been cooking only at home. However, during non-quarantine times, I do eat out a lot. Number two, I've been eating more frozen pizzas, frozen french fries, and processed food the last few months. I know, Melanie, poofas. Number three, I'm fasting less consistently than I was during those first two months of quarantine, but still fasting. Not counting, but probably range from 18 to 22 hours 
with the very occasional longer eating windows as well as the occasional longer fast. Just for your reference, I started out fasting in 2017 at 179 pounds. I'm 31 years old and 5'2". I don't count macros or calories or anything. I have been a non-strict pescatarian since 2015 and mostly eat veggies, although lately I've been adding in some red meat as well. I'm a little stressed, but not much more stressed than usual, I don't think. My main thought is that maybe I wrecked my metabolism during the first couple months of quarantine. I was fasting about 20 hours every day and eating to satiety. I never felt hungry, but maybe I wasn't eating enough. I never count calories, but yesterday I tried calculating some of the meals I was eating during that first two months of quarantine when I lost weight and was coming out probably a 1,000 calories a day. That seems like very little. It's also possible that I'm just truly eating like garbage lately and that it's having a hugely damaging effect on my body, although gaining 20 pounds in six months seems extreme, even for what I'm eating. I feel like I can't restrict or it backfires. So I'm just sort of writing it out. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I got a lumen hoping that maybe that'll help me or at least give me the motivation to pay more attention to what I'm eating while making it feel fun and not as restrictive. Is it possible my metabolism has been lowered? When I was losing weight in 2017 and 2018, I'd often eat truly one meal a day, like one large breakfast burrito, and that was it. I never thought I could be eating too little food because I do have some days where I eat a lot and others where I eat less and just trusted that. But just for your reference, during quarantine, I generally ate some combination of a bowl of rice with steamed veggies, avocado, and an egg, sometimes with some kind of sauce or with beans, chia seeds with yogurt and fruit, a sandwich with a bunch of veggies, avocado, and cream cheese, or tzatziki. Is that how you say that? Tzatziki? I do not know. I've seen it. It's a Greek kind of dressing, but I've never read it out loud. And she said, I usually eat a combo of the rice bowl and chia seeds or a sandwich and chia seeds. Sometimes I would also bake chocolate chip banana bread and eat that as well. Is that too little food? I always felt full, but on paper, it looks like not very much. Thanks for your help and support. I've been listening to your podcast since 2017 and will never stop. Love you both, Sarah. All right. So thank you so much, Sarah, for your question. So to recap, so from her first email, she originally lost weight during quarantine and now it is stopping. She lost eight pounds during quarantine, but now she has rebounded and gone up to 159. So she's actually gained, her plateau weight was 150. So she's nine pounds above her plateau weight after going down eight. So she's gone up not quite 20 pounds, 17. She's 17 pounds higher than her low. Yeah, I thought this was a really great question because I think this is something that happens a lot. And I'm guessing it happens. I'm guessing Jim would agree since she has a section on it (laughs) in the book. I find it really interesting, Sarah, that, you know, you were doing fasting, you were eating, you told us what you're eating, primarily whole foods, retroactively looking at the calories, it was less calories and you were losing weight. And during that time, you weren't hungry. You didn't feel like you were starving. You were eating to satiety. You at least didn't have, it didn't feel to you like your metabolism was slowing down. You didn't have a lot of signs of that. And then you 
lightened up on the fasting and started eating a lot of processed foods. And a lot of takeout. And a lot of takeout. And I just find it really interesting because I think reading it on paper, it's kind of what Jen said, that if you are honest with yourself, it can be probably evident. I mean, we never know exactly what's going on, but it can be pretty evident as to what is probably going on. And so me just reading this, it really just sounds like you went from eating, you know, being in a calorie restricted state fasting to eating processed, fattening, high calorie foods. And so I think a lot of people do fasting and they clean up their diet maybe, or they're eating like whole foods and they lose weight and that feels more motivating and they stick with it. And then some people, they lose the weight and I think it becomes, it it seems like a liberty to, or like a green card to just eat whatever you want. And as long as you fast a certain amount of hours that that will, you know, completely mitigate any potential weight gain or damaging effects metabolically from the foods we're eating. I just think this is so important to bring to awareness. And we've talked about this a lot on this show before, but I I do think because fasting is becoming so popular, it is getting painted as this cure-all. And in a way, it seems like what you're eating doesn't matter. And I've been, I mean, I've been saying from day one, (laughs) I really, really think what you're eating I think it's just as important as the fasting. I actually, honestly, if I had to choose between eating whole foods that work with your body and never fast versus fasting and eating processed foods like we have today, I would choose never fasting. See, and I would choose the opposite. And and one study that backs that up, you know, that rat study where they, they fed the rats a bunch of junk, but they got healthier because they were fasting. Even with the junk, I really think the fasting, I mean, I agree that both are important. Yeah. And it's almost a dialogue not worth having, but, but it is an interesting thing to think about. My reasonings behind that is, and when I say like never fasting, I'm assuming that you would still have not like you're not eating literally 24 hours. So you're still, you know, sleeping and not eating while you're sleeping. I mean, eating like, you know, what would be considered a normal eating pattern throughout the day. Mm hmm. Just because I think there is a a lot of potential damage that we can do with the signaling of the foods we eat. And fasting is a powerful signal for repair and cleanup and mitigating that damage. But if it's choosing between wielding a lot of potential damage with the food you're eating and then, quote, cleaning it up with fasting compared to not having as much of that inflammatory signaling with the foods you're eating... It's hard to choose, but I would probably err towards that. One reason that I I feel so strongly that start with the fasting, don't change what you're eating until your body tells you to or until it feels right is just because I've seen so many people in the groups who have their bodies naturally change with what they're craving. And so that takes care of itself down the line, if that makes sense. So they fast and then they want to eat better, but it happens naturally. And so they don't have to force it or try. Yeah, and exactly. And that's what I was saying. I think there's different types of people and a lot of people, that's what ends up happening and they stay on that. And then there's people like Sarah where you start slipping into old foods and then maybe you see fasting as being protective of that. Right. I I see what you're saying. But, and you know, all those sound like comfort foods, those foods that she's she's listing. And I get it. Those, Those foods are comforting, aren't they? French fries, pizzas. Yeah. I think because we often want to keep in what we 
like we want to see what we want to see. So it's easy to, to think, oh, well, I probably just messed up my metabolism with the fasting and that's what this is. And if you hadn't changed your food at all, and you were eating the same food, doing the same fasting, and you experienced all this weight gain, then there would definitely be something going on with that. But there's a huge change that's happened. Right. And she's fasting less consistently. I actually have a suggestion for that. Somebody I posted in the group one time that really, I, I remember this. She said, I thought I was fasting consistently, and I thought my fasting hadn't changed. So I started using my app again and realized I was fasting a lot less than I thought I was. Sometimes just writing it down, it gives you that accountability. You're like, oh, I thought I was less consistent, but I'm way less consistent. Yeah, 100%. I also want to add, it sounds like the food changes, like you said, are are a huge factor and the, the fasting less consistently. But I would really go back to what you were eating before, those types of foods, and see if that doesn't if that doesn't make things change right up for you. I've realized the predict study really helped me to see this too and the foods that are recommended and not recommended. One of the things they don't recommend I eat a ton of cheese. Cheese is one of my favorite foods and I was looking Melanie, you know, I haven't weighed myself officially. I have my shape of scale, but I haven't weighed myself on a scale where I see a number since 2017. But there have been periods of time where I felt like I my pants got a little tighter. I've talked about this. My honesty pants got a little tighter. And I'm like, what am I doing differently? And then I tightened things up and then they got back to normal. At no time have I had to buy bigger clothes. But I was looking at my Facebook memories the other day from a year ago. My face was so puffy. I think I had a little period of of rebound weight gain right in that period of time because I was eating so many cheese plates. Did I talk about that on this podcast? Not about the cheese plates. Well, I went to New York last October and had a couple of cheese plates at these really nice restaurants. I'm like, I'm going to go home and make a cheese board every afternoon. And I was just eating cheese like crazy. <laughs> and I think that made me a little puffy and my honesty pants got tight. And I'm like, oop, time to cut out the cheese boards. And then whoop, right back to normal. Well, I went to the beach with my college friends. I talked about that. We ate a ton of cheese, and I brought a ton of cheese back home with me. And then I was eating a lot of cheese at home because I had all this leftover cheese, and we really had a lot of cheese at the beach. All of a sudden, I saw gray on my shapa. Gray is the color for your weight trend is up. And I'm like, oop, there goes the cheese again. So, you know, can I eat cheese? Yes. Should I have a huge cheese plate? Every day? No, my body is telling me no. Yeah, if you had to construct the perfect food for weight gain, (laughs) I think it would be something like cheese. Maybe so. And I just, it's so easy to eat a lot. We talked about this before, but starting off with dairy, dairy is a hormonal food, which its intention is to grow a being. Cheese, cheese is that. But it's the high fat form of that. So it's not even just the hormonal signal of milk. It's all of those signals with highly, highly concentrated fat and calories. Yeah. So, you know, that's just me being honest with myself. And I could have said at either time, you know, with this shape of going to gray, I could say, "Uh uh-oh, intermittent fasting has stopped working. Or, oops, my metabolism must be slow. But no. I was like, okay, what behavior has changed? I'm like, oh, there's the cheese again. 
That's what, and also I ate out a ton at the beach. We ate out. I ate things, you know, lobster rolls, delicious, lots of things I don't normally eat at the house. You know, now my, my shape is back. Got the good color again. So it just helped me to see it. it. It actually, I wasn't sad, Melanie. You know, I don't like about the gray. Seeing a weight number fluctuate upset me. Seeing the color be gray did not upset me. I wondered if it would. If I ever see gray, like I thought to myself, I hope I never see gray. But if I do, will I be upset? And I wasn't. And I was not tempted to over-restrict either. Like, you know, if my weight had fluctuated up and I'm like, oh, I got to get that number down. I was like, well, my trend is up. It'll go back down. And I felt confident. It was really, really refreshing. I still need to get mine calibrated. I was so close. And then that threw me threw me for a loop. But I forgot to weigh last night. So I hope it didn't start me over. Oh, gosh. <laughs> my shape of age is back down, though. This is what I have found. I have discovered that if you look at your shape of age, it actually does give you an indication of your weight fluctuations because my shape of age fluctuated all the way up to 32. And now it's fluctuated back down to 28. <laughs> so I don't have a goal weight. I have a goal shape of age. My goal shape of age is 28. I want to keep it there. Looking at mine right now. I'm gonna gonna get it there so I can start doing it too. Well, Sarah, thank you for your question. And I hope that our answers have helped point you towards what I think you already knew because of the way you wrote your question. So please give us another follow-up. I know that we and the listeners would love to hear what changes you make and what happens in results, you know, results from those changes. So we have another question, and this one is from Robin. And I love this one. Subject is, where does the fat go when we lose weight? And she says, I know this is a very basic question, but I've heard lots of different answers on where exactly the fat slash weight goes when we lose weight. So where are the collective thousands of pounds of weight all of us intermittent fasters have lost? Also, I'd love to know if you and Jen have ever met in person. And if not, do you have plans to do so in the future? I think you're a great team and work really well together. Love your podcast. I binge listened up to episode 30 so far and look forward to hearing the rest. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, so this is a a great question. And Jen, do you know where it goes? Well, I do. I do know where it goes. <laughs> I've watched a great video about this. It's like a TED Talk or something. And oh, to answer her question, no, we have still not met in person. Still no. We will. We don't need to. We we know we will. I'm sure we will. I think we should once quarantine madness. You can be great friends though and still not have met in person. That's what I've learned. This is true. This is very true. Once the quarantine madness is maybe done. Exactly. Health risks or social implications or everything with all of that. Be nice. Nice celebration. So as to where it goes, so fat is basically made of, you know, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, all of these things, and it's stored as triglycerides, so a storage form of fat in our body. And when we turn it into energy, which we do partly, assuming it's, what is the word, aerobic oxidation. So using oxygen to turn it into energy, we, we breathe in oxygen. And we use that to generate energy, ATP, in the mitochondria of our cells 
from the fat. And then all of those excess carbons and hydrogen, they form two things, air or carbon dioxide. So, so some of the carbon dioxide we just breathe out. And then some of the rest forms, the hydrogens and oxygen form water. So we urinate it out or sweat it out or breathe it out. Well, we breathe out the carbon dioxide. So like the breathing out is around, it's around like 80% or so that we breathe out. And it's around 20% that we lose as water. So you're actually breathing out your fat. And oh, I meant to talk about the lumen. So this is perfect. I would have completely forgot. Sarah was saying that she has a lumen device. And so lumen device, it's a breath analyzer. And it uses a science called indirect calimetry because the the ratio of carbon dioxide and oxygen in your breath can indicate the source of the fuel that you're burning because carbs versus fat produce a different ratio of carbon dioxide or oxygen as their byproducts. So the Lumen device measures that. It's a breath analyzer and it can tell you if you're burning carbs or fat and then it makes like dietary recommendations and things like that. So if listeners are interested in that product, I've done two episodes on it in the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. I'll put a link to it. You can join my Facebook group, which is called Lumen Lovers. And you can go to melanieavalon.com slash Lumen and the coupon code Melanie Avalon gets you a discount. I think it gets you $50 off. Yeah, it does. It gets you $50 off, which is awesome. But so in any case, yes, you are, you're breathing it out, sweating it out, urinating it out. That's where it's going. The only other like potential byproducts that can be had from things that we eat, because that's what happens with alcohol. That's what happens with carbs. It's what happens with fat, protein. It also has some byproducts of, I think, nitrogen. So we have to get rid of that through urination as well. So yeah. So your body takes it apart at the little chemical level and just bloop, does different things with the other the pieces of it. Sends them on out. You get the ATP and then out it goes. Chemistry. (laughs) But yes, we should plan to meet after all of this. Yeah, we definitely should. But I think I haven't been to Atlanta in ages. I don't know if I've been to Atlanta since you've been. I'm not I'm not a big traveler, so if you want to come to Atlanta. <laughs> but you could come and stay in my guest room and use my new bathroom. Traveling so stressful. <laughs> Cuz we're really like two and a half hours apart. It is not that far. Yeah, it's really not that far. And it needs to happen before I go back to LA. So, well, you're not going back to LA. I forbid it. I am. (laughs) (laughs) I forbid it. It is calling. Do you really think you are? I am. Yes. (laughs) I'm really excited. Do you really have plans? Like you've got them in motion or you just like, is it just a goal? No, I mean, because I've, I've lived more of my life. Have I lived more of my life there than anywhere else? I think so. I, I don't know. Now having left it twice, I, I know that's where I want to be. Like, I'm going to go back and not leave again. I'm thinking maybe in the spring. How long have you been in, back in Atlanta? This time around? Yeah. A uh, year, year and a half. Because it feels like you just moved back, but I had a feeling it would probably be longer than... It does feel like I just moved back. It's really weird. Time is going by... Time is flying and going slow all at the same time. Really random thought experiment question. So I'm interviewing 
this guy named Sergey Young. He's an investor in longevity technology. So like his thing is like artificial intelligence and avatars and space travel. And, but he's also all about like diet and lifestyle. So I think it's going to be a really great episode. What I want to ask him is, you know how like time goes by faster and faster with every, you know, the older we get, it seems to, if we were immortal, would there reach a point where our perception of time would be so fast? Do you get what I'm saying? That's very hypothetical to me. So I don't know. If time is relative, like would there come a point where like you're not even experiencing time? These are the things I think about. Well, you know, if you talk to some people, they say we actually time is just an illusion anyway. And so we're all experiencing all the time. I don't know. Quantum physics, any of that, that's way beyond me. <laughs> you know, they're like, when they're measuring the, the particles and just the act of measuring the particles changed them. They stopped acting like waves and they started acting like particles. This was light when they were measuring light and they changed. Anyway, it's all just, I'm like, I don't need to know any of that. One more thought that's actually relevant to this and to our show. I'm reading right now Dr. Fung's new book. The Cancer Code. How is it? It's really good. I'm... I'm really appreciative because I haven't really like learned much about cancer. It's not something I've, you know, you haven't been called to study it. Right. So I'm really grateful to be reading it and actually getting schooled on it. And I'm learning so much, but that's one of the things he talked about was the, the difference in paradigm shifts in medicine compared to quantum physics and how like in physics, when you realize that you know, that the paradigm that we have to explain reality is incorrect. It just gets completely replaced all at once and you switch over. Like with the, what you just talked about with particle. Well, I don't know if it gets completely. The light waves, they can be waves, they can be particles. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically in physics, it's like, oh, our current explanation does not work. And even if you don't know the correct interpretation, the hypothesis of the correct interpretation is accepted as more true than the current explanation that's not working. Sorry, this does come back to diet and fitness. Compared to diet and fitness and medicine, where if the paradigm that we have to explain disease or health conditions doesn't quite explain it, we, instead of like rejecting that and like positing a new theory that makes more sense, it's more likely that we try to fit the current paradigm to fit that paradigm. It's why it's so hard for there to be change and what's accepted as, you know, like in food, like high fat, low fat, fasting. You're so like stuck to that theory. You don't want to let it go. Yeah. And they, and it's like easier to like manipulate it and explain away all the contradictions than be like, oh, maybe this is incorrect. Well, I will go back to the, the example I gave just kind of flippantly, but when the people were like, oh, guess what? The earth's not flat or, oh, guess what? The sun does not go around the earth. They didn't take that pretty easily. Science wasn't like, oh, you're right. Remember? So even so hard science hasn't always been responsive to new information. That is true. I guess the, the slight difference is like with saying the world is flat, the world looks flat. Really, it was more, it wasn't even so much the, the world is flat. That was the big church. Yeah, it was the church. It was, it was the, the going around part. You know, the, the sun being in the middle of the solar system was such a revolutionary idea. That was really the big one. And people were like, no, that is <laughs> against the religion. Yeah, 
that was a big a big shift. But it was not, you know, they they did not want that to be true. Yeah, this is true. It's a really, really incredible book, though. I'm really enjoying it. Well, good. I'm glad. Literally, there was a moment where, and I can't do it justice. You'd have to read the book. But there's like this epiphany. He goes through the characteristics of cancer cells, like in great detail. And then he goes through the difference between single cellular organisms and multicellular organisms. And there's this huge epiphany moment where all of the characteristics of cancer literally match up to the characteristics of singular cellular organisms. Basically, I haven't finished the book, but basically I think his theory is that cancer is, it's not just random genetic mutations. Like it, It's like an attack of replicating single cell organisms. Like it's evolving basically. Cause like it's four, it's four characteristics I think are that it, oh man, I should, I'd have to look it up. It's like, it's has mutations. It's, immortal it and there's two more but they're basically exactly what a a singular cellular organism is well now i'm really interested in reading it i had not thought about reading it but maybe i need to literally the moment like that happened it was like (laughs) yeah i can't wait to interview him about it and it it was perfect timing because i didn't know exactly like i i I was thinking i was going to interview him about fasting and i was like there's so much. Like, what are we going to talk about? And like, how was I going to like focus the interview? But this is great because this book just came out. So love it. Well, I'm so curious what, what made him be interested in cancer, you know, cause he's a nephrologist. He, you know, he's a, a kidney doctor. And of course now he works with a lot of people who are type two diabetics. Of course he always did being a kidney doctor, but he, you know, his intensive dietary management clinic. And of course, now he's known for the fasting. So I wonder how he made the the transition to writing about cancer. Ask him that. Or did he say it in the book? He did not. No. Why cancer? I didn't realize he was a kidney. That that was his special. Yeah. He's a nephrologist. Oh, I have so many questions about the kidneys. This is great. <laughs> this is going to turn to a kidney episode instead. <laughs> I know you want to talk about cancer, but let's talk about the kidneys. Can we talk about the kidneys? <laughs> I got no questions about the kidneys. I don't. <laughs> I do. I do. Sorry for all the tangents. Well, I'm I'm interested to read it. So you, you are not all the way through, so you can't give the spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. So I just looked it up. The four characteristics of cancer are that it grows, that it's immortal, that it moves around, and that it uses glycolysis to form its energy. And that's the four characteristics of single cellular organisms. And I got so excited because, you know, Jen, sometimes you're reading a book and you're like, oh my goodness, it's this. And then they say that and you're like, oh. So I was like, oh, it sounds like cancer. My thought was that it sounds like cancer is de-evolving. Like, that it's, you know, reverting back from a multicellular organism to a single single cellular organism. And then that's what he said. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. I love that, that you get like the tingles. I know. Yeah, I'm excited to finish the book. Like I said, I'm about halfway through. I will put links to it in the show notes. It's called The Cancer Code. I hope he does The Kidney Code. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound like a big seller. I would buy it. <laughs> No, you would. The Kidney Code sold one copy in Atlanta. <laughs> no, I'm sure if whatever fun rights people will buy. Yeah, I'd, I'm not running out to buy the Kidney Code, but people would buy the Liver Code, I bet. Probably. I would buy the Kidney Code. 
And you would buy the liver code. I would. I'll buy all of his stuff. I love reading it. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. In any case, this has been absolutely wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 191. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. They'll also have links to everything we discuss. Brief reminder for episode 200, submit ask us anything questions and put in the headline, what is it, AMA? Ask me anything. Put something in the headline, <laughs> like episode 200 or ask me anything or something so we know that's what it for 
And you can submit your own questions by directly email questions at ifpodcast.com, or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can follow us on Instagram. Jen, oh my goodness. Guess what? Have you done stories on Instagram? No, I don't know what they are or how to do them. Me neither. They are so complicated. I don't know how to do them, but my sister and I actually had a night out and she taught me how to do stories. They're so complicated, but I'm learning. You'll have to teach me. They're confusing, but they're so... Are they? They're fun? Yeah. So they like... (laughs) I sound like such a technologically behind the times person right now. So you know how like you have your pictures? Yes. Like... And you know how like when you're in the app, like random things pop up and it's like this person doing this, it like flashes and you have to like exit it. Right. Those are stories. So they only last for 24 hours, but you can like do lots of stuff to them. And then you can see everybody who even looked at them, which is cool. Well, that's interesting. People can comment and it's, they're really fun. I did one. You did a story. I did a story. I said it was my first story. That's what this was. Okay. I don't, I don't. So follow us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to paste a little more on there, but I'm still not very interesting. Yeah. It's just a lot. But um, follow us because we're trying. We're trying. I'm Melanie Avalanche and it's Jen Stevens. And I think that's everything. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.